Our teaching text for today, if you want to join us, is in uh, John 17. We'll begin at verse 20. And before we do that, uh, let's sing this refrain together. Ask in my name, no things will be given. Ask in my name, and you will have peace in me. And you Today, starting at verse 20, Jesus says these words, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and I and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, Though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. The word of the Lord. to be with you this morning. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here if we haven't had a chance to meet. And we have a lot of ground to cover today, so I'm, I'm really pumped. Uh, we are going to be spending some time in Florida, Jerusalem, Siberia, the Sinai Desert, and then back here in West Michigan. So let's get started. Um, let's start in, in Florida. Uh, last weekend, I took a little trip down there. These are my kids. I promised I would show them because they always are like, why does Pastor Troy's daughter on TV all the time? And I'm like, She's cuter than you, so I don't actually say that, but anyway, so we, we made the trip 21 hours in the car and got to Florida last weekend. Kids had a couple of days off school and we were really excited to just get away and see what happened. So exactly a week ago, Sunday morning prior to the Mars Hill live stream, I took a long run by the beach to try and ponder this particular text we have today, John 17, really the whole chapter is what we're looking at this morning trying to get a sense of what is going on here. And as I ran, uh, I want to say by the beach, but it was blocked by mansions and condos and all sorts of stuff. 
but I could hear the waves. And as I ran, it was as if, wow, I'm, I'm in the story of the beach and realized much like I was in the story of Scripture. There's this heartbeat that's always there reminding you, you are close. And as I tried to think about this particular text, I, I'm like, we get a really great picture of Jesus here, but I'm struggling to see the, the beach as a parallel. I want to see the ocean. And I think the Gospels, to break down the metaphor a little more, give us that glimpse between the large houses or, or over the hill at the beach. Like, oh, we get a little bit clearer picture of who God is in this particular story. And then I actually would put forward to you that this chapter, John 17, offers us that clear view, unobstructed picture of the water, where we get to see something that is so beautiful and clear. We get to see into the heart and ministry of Jesus as he prays. His longest recorded prayer in the scriptures is in this chapter. It's fascinating. We get this section, and we've been in it for a couple weeks. Um, Jesus' kind of final words before he moves in the book of John towards the, the cross. And these are written in a particular way that scholars believe the author John is trying to tell us something particular, that these chapters are not just a recording of what happened, but are meant for believers throughout time and space to read this and be encouraged, to be warned, to be welcomed into Jesus' prayer. So that's what we're looking at today. And I find it really fascinating that Jesus, who knows that things are coming to an end, he knows the, the way that is before him, and he's sitting with his disciples and his followers at the Last Supper, and instead of standing again to make a grand speech or writing something that, like, I will let this stand for, for eternity, he prays. When he could have done anything to kind of culminate the pinnacle of his, his teaching ministry, his relational ministry, he prays. I think that's what I want us to lean into this morning to say this is, this is very particular. This chapter, uh, if you have a Bible, I would just encourage you to, to grab it, open it, open the app, or if you're at home, grab it if you would. We're going to be in John 17. And this chapter, it's, it's beautiful. It's profound. It's theologically rich. But if you read it quickly, it's just kind of downright confusing, too. That, the first time I went through this, I was like, whoa, there's, there's a lot here. And so let's do a quick breakdown of what's happening. There's three primary sections in John chapter 17. This first is, uh, I call it the glory be. These first five verses, Jesus, uh, in the text says, he raises his head or he looks toward heaven and he prays. The same language that is used in Matthew 6 as he begins teaching the disciples the Lord's prayer as we know it. So we, people often call this the Lord's Lord's Prayer. How many times did Microsoft Word underline that is wrong for me? No joke. But the Lord's Lord's Prayer, Jesus is saying, this is how I will pray. He raises his eyes to the Father. And I'll skip around some highlights. He says, Father, the hour has come to glorify your Son and that your Son may glorify you. And he says this, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. Jesus in his prayer is pointing first to his relationship with the Father. 
saying that anything that comes after this is in light of that relationship. So we move on. These two sections we're going to spend a little more time on. The second one, Jesus prays for all his present disciples. He is lifting up those in the room, in the building, up before the Lord, advocating for them. There's some highlights. Um, And then uh, number three, this third section, verses 20 to 26, Jesus prays for all the disciples, the church, you and me, for eternity. Remember, this section of John, we can say, transcends time and space. And so does Jesus' prayer at the end of this chapter. Let's look at uh, section two. This is verse six through 19. We're going to start in uh, verse 8 there. Jesus is praying. He said, they knew, talking about his disciples who were there, with certainty that I came from you and believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. He's saying, Lord, I'm not just praying for anybody right now. I am praying for these particular people. Now, it's really commonplace in our culture today to say, I'm praying for you. But it was a particular vocation in ancient Israel to pray for somebody. You were stepping into the priestly role. We're going to toss around that term quite a bit this morning. The priestly role. Jesus, we've often seen, fills kind of three large theological roles in Scripture. Uh, The PPK, the prophet, priest, and king. And here he's moving into the priestly role because the priest in Israel was the one who took the cares of the people and brought them before the Lord. And so that's what Jesus is doing. So I think his disciples are getting a sense like he's doing something here. He's he's being a priest for us. He continues, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me so that we are So one as we are one, that they may be one as we are one. This is verse 13. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm in the world, that they may have the full measure of joy. So he's praying for joy for his disciples, that something may be alive. And I'm thankful he prays for joy, because last week we're talking about the warning of the turbulence that is in front of these disciples and all those who choose to follow Jesus. He prays for joy. In verse 15, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. So sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So Jesus is taking ample time to lift up his followers before the Lord. To advocate for them, to ask God to protect them. And as a concept, that's, that's amazing that the God of the universe would advocate for his followers. I don't know when the last time is that I felt represented like that or advocated for, but there was one time. Come to me thousands and thousands, come with me thousands and thousands of miles away from here. Many years ago, I was in northwestern Siberia. To get to this place, you ride, you fly to Moscow, you ride the Trans-Siberian Railway, the northern arm, for three days. Not on a high-speed bullet train. This is a train that like John Wayne would have ridden on in a western. And if you want to talk about John Wayne, join the book club. It's coming up, check our website. But let me tell you this. 
we're on this uncomfortable train for three days. We get off the train. After crossing the Ural Mountains, see Dr. Zhivago's bones over there, and we're like, okay, here we are. And then we take a boat for 18 hours north into the Arctic Circle. Not a comfortable passenger boat. Us and our backpacks, which was everything we had with us, and a satellite phone that was the size of this keyboard. Um, it didn't work well, we found out. We go 18 hours by boat up these rivers into the vast tundra where there are reindeer, fish, and a few folks who tend both of those species. And what we were doing was doing some, some research, some observation about where we could find local ministry partners uh, for a particular denomination that was looking at doing some empowerment ministry in those places. So we had a couple months in the tundra. The first village we came to, we had great relationships, a great reception, and we made friends and we're talking, but there was these kind of three gruff-looking middle-aged gentlemen who were always on the looking out for what we were doing, suspicious. We tried to engage them, talk, what didn't happen? So they're always kind of just watching. And thankfully, on this trip, we had a translator, a guide, if you will. His name was Zhenya, who spoke, was Russian, spoke fluent Russian, and he was a great friend. And he would tell us, don't worry about them, don't worry about them, all is well. Well, on the last day we're in this village, Zhenya, the translator, wakes me up and says, hey, I have to go talk to those gentlemen. I'll see you later. And he leaves us. And we're packing up, packing up our backpacks. We're going to catch the last boat out of there for a week. And I see him for hours talking with these three gruff-looking gentlemen, gesticulating, yelling, fighting amongst themselves. And, and they're always pointing at us. Whew. All right, all right. Trying to dial that sat phone. It's not working. So finally the boat comes. We get on the boat. Zhenya breaks off the conversation peacefully with these men, gets on the boat with us. We take off. I go over to him and say, hey man, what was that all about? And he's like, it's nothing. It's nothing. Okay? I ask him again, I'm like, what was, what was going on, man? It was like hours. He's like, nothing, nothing. So I let it, let it go. And then two hours later, I come back to him. I say, hey, man, what was going on with those men? And he says to me, oh, they were going to call the authorities and have you arrested as international spies and take the women in your group with them. But I told them to stop. Okay. Good deal, man. Thanks. Right? To have someone who can advocate for you, to plead your case, who's got your back. Even when you have no idea what's going on. Most of our group didn't even know he was having this conversation, saving our lives, right? And yet here he was. And I would, I would posit to you that that is a, a little bit of a lens into what is happening here as Jesus is representing his disciples, not before an angry God who wants to kidnap and kill them, but he is asking, he's bringing their names into the conversation of the Trinity to be loved and cared for. He's asking God to bring greater joy and protection for his followers. The God of the universe is speaking their names in the heavenly throne room. What kind of confidence 
ought that to have given these disciples? And I wonder, what kind of confidence does that give us? Who are included in those Jesus is representing before the Father. Putting your name and my name into the divine conversation. Having the right advocate matters. Scriptures continue to pick up on this theme of the priest holding our names, Jesus' followers' names before God. We see this in Hebrews chapter 4. I love this text. Uh, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. So let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Confidence that Jesus himself is bringing our names into the heavenly conversation. It's often said that the Bible is, is written for us, but not to us. This is important because we kind of eavesdrop and the, these ancient characters and conversations and stories that give faithful witness to the love of God and the lordship of Jesus through the power of the Spirit. But like I said, this particular chapter of John is for all time. It is written in such a way in the Greek language and the literary devices that John uses is meant for us to read this and say, I am part of this conversation. This text was used in early Christian worship services because it is, we are included. You're in. Jesus has got your name, lifting it up. John wants the reader to know that this is happening. So I'm not sure who needs to hear this particular word this morning, but God is for you. God is for you. Not in a way that it's a special genie who grants our wishes. But Jesus is bringing your name, speaking your name and love for you in the heavenly realms. So just as an exercise, I just invite you to look at, look at your week ahead. Is there something on that calendar, a relationship, a person, an appointment, waiting for some test results, maybe a job interview that's just causing some anxiety, some fear in you. I want you to take a deep breath and recognize that God is holding you before the Father. Jesus is holding your name in the heavenly realms, in is for you. So may we be those who step into this week with the confidence that the God of the universe is holding us, is present to us. Not doing our bidding, not fixing things the way we want, but promises to be with us. Speaks our name before God the Father. So, section three, 
This is the last little bit of text in John chapter 17 that Troy wrote, uh, read for us. I want to read again a few of those things. Uh, chapter, uh, verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. Okay, transitioning from the disciples there to the church eternal. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, and all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus is now doing something particularly priestly. And the disciples' ears, their well-trained Jewish ears are tuned to this. Oh, he is stepping in as the great high priest. If they didn't see it before, they're seeing it now. That he is interceding not just for them, but for the world and for those who would follow Jesus in eternity. And he sees Jesus asking, would we, would the church put Jesus, put God on display for the world to see? And he concludes with this, I have made you known to them, speaking to the Father, and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. He is interceding for the whole world. So lift that word interceding or intercession, if that's a new one uh, for some of us, it's, it's, it's holding somebody up before God in prayer. And that's what Jesus is doing in a particularly priestly way. And to get a little sense of what he is actually doing here, we need to back up a little bit and look at the calling of Israel in Exodus and Leviticus. So flip backwards in the Bible, if you will. Exodus 19, God says, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We'll get to kingdom of priests, but can you hear that same language that Jesus is using? It echoes of what what Jesus is doing here for his disciples. He says, though the whole earth is mine, you will be for me before God. Although of all the nations, you, my beloved, will be my treasured possession. And he's calling the nation of Israel to be a kingdom of priests. What is a priest? For that, we have to flip to the next book of Leviticus. Now, I believe we've done some work in this church around Leviticus, if you've been here for a long, long time. And I actually believe it's one of the most fascinating books in Scripture. Super boring if you read it quickly, without a lot of context. But what it does is it outlines for the people of Israel in a beautiful, with painstaking detail, what it is to be a priest, what it is to be a worshiping people. Who and when and how can this happen? And priests do this, to break down the book of Leviticus in a very quick fashion. They put God on display. Priests would live and look and dress differently. In fact, here's a picture of what we think they may have dressed like. You know, not what you'd be wearing in the desert. Under Armour does not make a version of this, right? This is not performance clothing for desert dwelling. They wore different clothes. They had a different schedule. They ate different things. They lived in a particular way to say this God, to point the way to say this God is different. And if we followers, we people of Israel are going to be a different type of community, a kingdom of priests, watch the priest. You are called to be different from those around you, to put God on display with how you live eat, work, play, spend money, right? They also, the priests would help people navigate their atonement. And, and this is something we see Jesus doing. 
in the next few chapters. He is helping the world navigate their atonement, what, what gives them peace inside with God in spite of their sin. And the priest, and, and again, this is where the, the disciples would have seen Jesus assuming this priestly role in this text in John. They distribute resources to those in need. Feeding the 5,000, anyone? Right? Jesus is about this work. And if they didn't fully see him as the great high priest before, they are now because he is doing the primary worshiping task of the priest is to intercede for the people. To bring the people's concerns before God. To go into the tabernacle where they could not go and lift up their concerns, their names. Just as Jesus is going where these disciples could not go, where you and I could not go. And bringing our names before the Lord. Advocating for us. Representing us in the heavenly realms. Jesus is showing himself here as the great high priest. And this is a particular relationship, this intercession relationship. Uh, We can move to the next slide there. Rewind, Exodus, Leviticus. The priest is the stand between God and Israel to help broker that relationship, to help speak for the Lord to the people, bring the people's concerns, intercede before God. That's the priestly role. And then we continue... And see that in that same way, as a kingdom of priests, Exodus 19, Israel was then to be priests for the world. And I would posit to you that we too are called into that vocation to be a kingdom of priests, to represent God to the world, to stand between the world and God and plead for the world before God, for blessing and encounter. That was Israel's task. And so what Jesus is doing in this and what the church is to be doing is to assume that priestly role, to stand between God and the world. What Jesus does in this particular text in John 17, he is inviting us to do as well, that we are to be those who pray. And when I say that we are to be those who pray, I mean I need to pray. You need to pray. And please count me among the strugglers who struggle to pray. I recognize that it may seem easy or commonplace for a pastor to tell people to pray, but it's really hard. I struggle with what this means. I struggle with regularity of prayer, with what I perceive as the correct length of prayer, with the correct sincerity of prayer. So you are not alone if that is you. And yet, in many ways, despite my questions and my struggles, I am going to trust the evidence of Scripture and the saints who have come before rather than my experience of prayer and say, there's something here that we're called to do. And so what I encourage you and invite you to wonder what it would look like for you to step into that role of the priest who brings the concerns of those around you before God and intercedes for the world. Actually, that I think we can be an interceding people, to be a kingdom of priests, to be a church of priests. What would that look like, honestly? I mean, prayer, prayer itself gets kind of a bad rap these days, right? Instead of offering prayers, voices from all sides and perspectives include us, uh, encourage us to fight, rise up, speak, vote, advocate, yes. Yeah, 
me to do those things. But we would be remiss if we were not ceaselessly first and last and in the meantime in prayer interceding for the world, asking for a fresh encounter with God for us and for those around us. This isn't new. Obviously, we're talking about Leviticus, but the church begins to practice the second century of origin of Alexandria says this, one saint who prays is much more powerful than countless sinners who rage war. Jesus, the God of the universe, could have said and done anything in his final moments, and yet he chooses to pray, to intercede for those he loves and those around him. And you and I are invited into that holy task, affirmed by scriptures all the way through. One particular one I do love is 1 Timothy 2, where it says, first of all, I urge you that intercessions be made for all people. That is part of what you do as a community. You intercede for those around you. So I ask, what would it look like for us to step into this in a fresh way? To be those who lift up one another and lift up the concerns of the world before God. The first thing I think about is what would it mean for me to pray for the person who I disagree with? And I want to pray, Lord, make them understand things like me. That's not intercession. That's not kingdom of priests, right? Instead, what if we were those who said, Lord, would you give fill in the blank with the person that's really difficult for you? Would you give them a fresh encounter with your spirit? Would you allow me to have that as well? And instead of them coming to my perspective, would we both come to a fresh understanding of what you're doing in the world? As if we ever had a corner on it, people. So I just invite you as a second imaginative practice this morning to name that person or that party or the followers of a certain ideology that is most difficult for you. Maybe it's a kid at school who's not nice, doesn't follow the rules. Maybe it's a teacher you feel is hard on you, makes your life miserable. Name that person before God. And in the next few seconds, ask that God would encounter and love them in a special way. God, for all those we are naming in our hearts and homes, would you love them in a new and fresh way? Would you give them an encounter with your spirit, with your church that offers renewal? would you do the same for us? To be priests and intercessors, my friends, is not simply something that we could possibly once do or aspire to, but I would put before you that it is chief among the things that Jesus invites us to and requires of us. After assurance of God's love and faithfulness, a warning about the turbulence that we will encounter as we follow Jesus in the days to come, Jesus invites us to pray like him, to bring the concerns and cares of the world before the Almighty, 
trusting that God is more powerful than any other way of advocating we could offer. And we get a chance to do that. I do love this little quote here from Walter Wink, that history belongs to the intercessors, those who believe and pray the future into being. And because of what Jesus has done, because of what God has done in Christ through the power of the Spirit, we too can intercede as a priest for the world because Jesus, our great high priest, intercedes for us. That may be the highest and most holy calling of this part of John for the follower of Jesus. So we get a chance to try that on. And I'd encourage you as some people pick up particularly particular new practices for the month of, or for the time in Lent, maybe this is one of them, to intercede and pray for those around you. I'm really, uh, we're going to pray together. I'm really struck in her new book, Tish Warren, she talks about how prayer practices craft our faith, that we are literally molded and shaped by the ways that we pray. And uh, maybe none more than when we intercede for another person. And um, we prioritize this every week, uh, not uh, to just fill time, but because we believe that as we pray for another, we are being made more into the image of Christ. It's mind-boggling to imagine that when we do this, we join the ministry of the ascended Jesus who's already doing this. As Hebrews says, he ever lives. He always lives to intercede. And so uh, we're going to do that together. So I want to invite you to pray. Uh, I'm going to lead us to pray here. And let's pray knowing that the Spirit interprets our sighs and groans when we can't find the right words. Let's pray confident in the inexhaustible riches of God the Father. And let's pray comforted knowing that we join the prayer of Jesus, our great high priest. And so please join me as uh, we lift up brothers and sisters near and far. God, we pray today for anyone this past week who has experienced prejudice and abuse and hatred because of their ethnicity or their skin color or their gender or their age or their religious and moral convictions. God, we pray for comfort. We pray for protection. And we continue to pray, God, that all injustice would be made right. God, on this Valentine's Day, we recognize and know that some struggle to find joy in reasons to celebrate today. And so we pray for those who are experiencing the first Valentine's Day since they lost a spouse to death. God, we pray today for the, the single parents who today and every day have lives that demand that they focus on their children We pray today for marriages that have ended in the past year, for the marriages that seem likely to be headed there. We pray for those marriages that are working out 
their problems in sickness and maybe not in health. God, we pray today for those who are single and don't want to be. We pray for those who might have risked in being vulnerable and admitting that they, were, that they cared for or were interested in another, but were rejected or dismissed and therefore feel embarrassed and ashamed and hopeless. We pray for those, God, who just simply this year feel lonelier than last. We pray for your love and care to be abundantly and undeniably real for these people today. God, we pray for the overworked and we pray for the underemployed. Have mercy. We pray for those who are sitting with the sick or the dying, friends and loved ones. Lord, have mercy. We pray for those who can't sleep, those who are in constant physical pain, those who are nagged by unanswered questions, those who have a list of concerns and anxieties that don't go away when the lights go out. Lord, have mercy. And we pray for all those who are lacking patience and self-control and any desire to be healthy and desire to pray or to be kind or to be with another person. Lord, have mercy. And now I want to invite you to pray specifically for one person. And maybe you align your heart by aligning your body towards that person. So wherever that person might be right now, um, maybe you raise a hand in that person's direction or you turn your physical posture towards that person. Don't worry about geography. God can handle much more complicated things than our lack of knowing where people are. But maybe you align your physical body towards a person and you pray specifically for them and whatever needs that you know they have now. So would you do that in the silence of your own heart? God, we hold all of these prayers before you, all of these people before you today. Draw us deeper into the eternal prayer of Jesus. Break our hearts for another person. And would you bring them regularly to mind? And God, would you remind those of us who need prayer, who are desperate to be prayed for, that Jesus is our great high priest and always lives to intercede on our behalf and is holding us before God the Father. 
Thank you, God, for hearing and answering our prayers. And we pray all these things together in Jesus' name. And amen. And so we turn to the table. This beautiful, tangible reminder that Christ is with us. That we are caught up in this grand story that enables us to say to one another, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It was Jesus when he was gathered with his disciples. Right, right before this prayer that we just talked about. They're eating together. And he breaks this bread that he takes. And he said, this is my body. It is broken for you. And then after dinner, in much the same way, he takes the cup and he blesses it. He said, this is the new covenant, the new promise in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Friends, let's pray. Lord, you offer again to sustain us, to fill us, to change us, to be with us. Lord, would you take these elements, this bread and this cup, the, the offerings the, the, that we have at home from our cupboards, and would you do something beyond our understanding? Would you make this a fresh encounter with you? Lord Jesus, amen. And so friends, wherever you are, I just invite you to take some time and, and break the bread. We have tables around this room if you're here with us in person. And this is a space and time for you. Maybe it's a time where you need to continue to pray or just need to sit in quiet or sing as you engage this meal. We just invite you to do those things for what we're about and what we're doing. We proclaim the mystery of our faith as we say together that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So come, friends, receive who you are, the body of Christ.